If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew 26. We're at uh, part three on our series on the cross of Christ. Uh, Here we're considering betrayal. And I'll read verses 14 to 16 and then skipping down to verse 47, reading to verse 50. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. And then skipping down to verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And we'll end there. Well, as you know, History is chock full of traitors, uh, people who are trusted by a superior who end up turning upon a agreed-upon agenda or philosophy and break ranks. Uh, perhaps most famously the, the phrase, E tu, Brute, that uh, comes from Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, where there the two trusted lieutenants, if you will, of Caesar, who Gaius Cassius Longinus, I guess is the pronunciation, and Marcus Janus Brutus, were two of Caesar's key men who had conspired to murder or to assassinate by way of tyrannicide, a topic on many minds today, and killed uh, Caesar. And there in the play, uh, when Julius Caesar is being assassinated, he looks over at uh, Marcus uh, Brutus and he says, E tu, Brutus, Brute, uh, which means simply, and you too, Brutus? Have you been a part of this plan, my dear trusted friend? And uh, here these traitors are the most despicable of men. If anything is to be seen in in that idea, um, it's interesting that Dante puts uh, Gaius Longinus, the co-conspirator with uh, Marcus Brutus, uh, in the lowest place in his uh, inferno, in Dante's inferno. Here, Longinus is down there, the lowest level. Or perhaps a, a name like Robert Ford, who 
shot uh, Jesse James in the back. I don't know what your view of Jesse James was, but he's a character that is worthy of study uh, because history has done Jesse James a disservice, a a vast disservice in my estimation. But uh, remember the little ballad that uh, went after um, about Robert Ford indicating something of this uh, notorious uh, scoundrel. And just part of that, I'll read you the words. Jesse James was a lad that killed many a man. He robbed the Danville train. He stole from the rich and he gave to the poor. He had a hand, a heart, and a brain. Jesse was a man, a friend to the poor. He couldn't see a brother suffer pain. And with his brother Frank, he robbed the Springfield Bank. And he stopped the Glendale train. Poor Jesse had a wife, a lady all her life, and three children. They were so brave. But that dirty little coward that shot Mr. Howard has laid old Jesse James in his grave. It was Robert Ford, that dirty little coward, and I wonder how he feels. For he slept in Jesse's bed, and he ate old Jesse's bread, but he laid poor Jesse James in his grave. And so there's just something of the sense of that little ballad that um, goes on. Um, there's really very little honor for being a traitor. History has marked many names. Benedict Arnold, perhaps, in our own history that rings as a traitor to the cause. Uh, And in our own modern times, names like Sandy Berger. We know that Hillary Clinton just had a whole mess of her emails dumped through WikiLeaks, a foot of stacks of her emails that likewise show what a traitor she has been to her country. And I don't know what to make of Mike Pence in recent days, um, not wanting to challenge the Electoral College votes. Um, Whether he had betrayed Trump or not, I believe will only be fully understood come Wednesday. But uh, certainly the heartache that you felt uh, upon that time, why didn't you challenge this, (laughs) was such evidence of fraud in the election. Um, It's a heartbreaking thing to be betrayed. But the most notorious of all, I believe, comes to us from the texts that we've read today of Judas who betrays Jesus Christ. What can compare? And so I'm going to look at this text, three simple points. Um, I'm going to start by looking at the causes for this betrayal. And though I don't believe we'll exhaust the causes, we can certainly identify at least four. Uh, The first would be that uh, greed, no doubt, played its part. And so greed was a factor in this. John chapter 12, in his recounting of the events that we are looking at uh, last week and this week, uh, John 12, 5, where his account of Mary and this perfume that was poured out on Jesus' body, uh, we read there, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor was the claim of Judas? And then John continues with his account when he says this, and he adds this remark that no other author uh, or no other gospel writer adds, and he says this. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. So that that desire for money, the greed in his heart, uh, certainly a reflection of the principle that that um, Paul had given to young Timothy where 
He says uh, famously, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many a grief. And no doubt Judas has experienced that grief, so much so that he ends up taking his own life because of the angst that would come from the fact of his greed that he turned over innocent blood. And we know how the parable of the four soils and the four seeds, it speaks about the different different reactions that we have as a people to the gospel, uh, to the truth that is sown in our lives. And, and in Matthew 13, 22, uh, we read of that seed that is uh, sown among the thorns, that uh, the description of what happens, why that plant doesn't bear fruit. We have these words of the gospel writer where the one, who so, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worries of the world, and get this, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And so I do believe that while, Jesus, while Judas is in the presence of Christ, hearing the lessons, has the understanding of who he is, yet his faith gets choked out because of the care of money more than his faith. I think another factor, second factor, would be ignorance. Point B, ignorance. 1 Corinthians 2.7 tells us something interesting about knowledge, where Paul says, We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That because they had not the knowledge of who Christ was, they, in their ignorance, crucify the Lord of glory. And that's a a lesson we need to learn, that we don't know that which we don't know. When we're ignorant of that realm of knowledge that uh, is closed off to us because of our ignorance, we make stupid decisions. And likewise, I believe Judas had not fully understood the issues before him. How did he fully contemplate the cost to him, the resulting guilt from his sin? How would he know the consequences of those actions? But he had never fully pondered those things, and in his ignorance, in his short-sightedness for the money, perhaps, that he failed to understand. And had he understood, he certainly would not have betrayed the Lord of glory. And so ignorance and greed are two. The third, I would argue, would be that Judas was devoid of the Holy Spirit. He was devoid of the Holy Spirit. We know that the Spirit of God had not been given We also know something of what Paul says to the church at Corinth, that therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, without the Holy Spirit, Judas is not going to be able to defend Jesus as Lord. And don't get me wrong, we have other disciples that are declaring Jesus as Lord. But anyone can verbalize the words, Jesus is Lord. We can all articulate that. Even the rank unbeliever can articulate that. 
Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name, Christ says. And I will say, depart from me. So they, can, they have the ability to articulate that. But to be able to live a life consistent with the requisite action that goes along with the, with the verbal expression, Jesus is Lord, is what is required. And, and Judas does not have that. And so he falls short that he simply has a veneer of Christianity, a veneer of faithfulness. He goes through the motions. That's a scary thing, to be in the presence of Christ for three years and to still miss who he is, why he's here, and what he is, has done for man. And so Judas, who looks much like the other disciples, looks like a faithful follower of Christ, falls short, and becomes a fraud. The fourth point I wanted to set before you is that it was a predestined event. And as I had mentioned in my first message, that had that failed to materialize, it would compromise the integrity of God's word, the reliability and trustworthiness of God's word at every jot and tittle. And so how could we trust God on other matters? If he promised or said something was going to happen in the prophetic word and it doesn't come to pass, he was a false prophet. And we could not trust God at every point. And so a debate comes from this. How does God hold Judas uh, accountable for his actions if indeed God had predetermined that this was going to happen? as the prophet said, that he would be betrayed by his own. And the way most people are going to settle that debate is to address it from one of two perspectives. I'm going to argue for a third alternative. But the debate typically comes over what is called hard determinism and soft determinism. Now, hard determinism, or sometimes hard determinism is called metaphysical determinism, if you want to jot that down, but hard determinism or metaphysical determinism is a view that holds that determinism is true, that it is incompatible with a free will, and therefore, free will does not exist. Now, that's the view that most non-Calvinistic people will attribute to Calvinists. You're a bunch of hard determinists. You say there is no free will because you say God has determined everything and um, that somehow man is just a robot on your view. You've heard that. Uh, That is not the Calvinistic view. But there's good reason why they attribute that to Calvinists because most new Calvinists, new converts, talk that way. I I will confess that sin. (laughs) Uh, When I was a young Calvinist, I got on board with predestination. And my conclusion was there's therefore now no free will. And that's not actually the biblical view. And so I have contributed to the misperception about what Calvinists actually believe because of my ignorance. Um, the, typically, the opposing view would be soft determinism, which is the theory that human behavior and action are determined by causal events. The uh, particular events of history, hereditary issues, society influence, and upbringing are the issues that determine how you're going to react, how you're going to act, or the decisions you make. That's what is 
really determined by those external events. And I'm here to say that, too, is not the Calvinistic view. If you deny hard determinism, the only option is not soft determinism. So don't let somebody paint you into the either-or fallacy. The third option that I believe is more accurate is what Calvin taught, and more importantly, the, or maybe not more importantly, but in addition to, the Reformers were teaching, and that was that there are dual causalities. On the one hand, you have God's determined plan, his decree, his will, and we know that history is playing out everything that God has decreed. And that decree includes interaction with men, changing the heart of the king, like the channels of waters, as we read in Proverbs 21.1, that God can turn the heart of a king whichever way he wants. And in addition to God's will playing out, we know that man has a will, and he chooses, and he, he um, makes decisions according to his own nature. But that nature, we have to recognize in our confession plays this out, that there are really four states, and I won't go through the abilities and inabilities of the various states, but you know of the four states of innocency, the fallen state, the redeemed state, and the glorified state, what man's abilities are. But in each of those, man freely, freely chooses the decisions he makes. And so man is free, and God is free. And both of these causalities, or these duality of wills, are are at play. And both are true. And so this is the dynamic between what Judas is doing of his free will, his free choosing, if you will, and God's foreordaining that. And uh, we'll, we'll add to that here in a moment. But the second main point of the, of the sermon here is that we ought to consider the sale price for this betrayal. The sale price was 30 pieces of silver, and first of all, we note that it was a prophesied amount. Again, what we had looked at in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13, where the 30 shekels was the amount of of wages that was prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed by, and that that money would be used to buy the potter's field, and that plays out perfectly in history exactly that way. And so um, we had read of that. I'm not going to go beyond that. But, but the details of this betrayal are to be found not only in the prophets, but in the history of these events. The amount, what was done with the money, and the fact that it was a betrayal. The second aspect is the significance that I want to think about, these uh, 30 pieces of silver. Now, most, most commentators are going to tell you that that was the price of a slave, Both Zechariah and Matthew, um, in their accounts, they they both denominate, uh, they both omit the denomination of the money. They say silver, and then translators have to put in coins or 30 pieces or 30 shekels, uh, but that's a substituted word. Typically, your translations will have that word italicized. Um, They don't uh, occur in the original, but they are 30 pieces of silver. And and you notice that this was not just merely the the slave price um, of a man who was 33 years old as Christ was, but it is more importantly, it was the slave price of a woman, but not a man. Let me read you the text, Leviticus 27, starting verse 2. 
Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man makes a difficult vow, he shall be valued according to your valuation of persons belonging to the Lord. If your valuation is of the male from 20 years to 60 years old, that's the category Christ fits into, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, not 30, after the shekel sanctuary, shekel of the sanctuary. Verse 4, or if it is of a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels, and then 10 for the children and the aged. So the 30 shekels was actually for a woman's slave, not for a man's slave. And so uh, you see something of, of the devaluation of those 30 pieces of silver. And the last thing I want to say about this sale price, not only was it prophesied, not only was it 30 pieces and indicated the, the value of a female slave, but, but thirdly, it stands in contrast to Mary's 300 denarii spikenard, which we considered last week. I, I believe that, that Matthew is trying to get us to see something of the stark contrast between a woman who is pouring her, her life into Christ and pouring out what is arguably the most precious commodity that she had. An entire year's wages poured out in an expression of her devotion that Jesus is worthy of everything I have. The most priceless thing I have is this one is worthy of my all. And Judas, the value he places upon Christ is 30 pieces of silver. That was the valuation that that Zechariah says, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. That's what the elders and the scribes valued Christ at. That was the price that Judas feels Christ is worthy of. And the contrast is jarring. I think that's the intention of the author here, that we ought not to miss that. And then lastly, I want to consider the signal for this betrayal. The signal for this betrayal, and you know it's the kiss. Verse 26, now he who was, I'm sorry, verse 48 of 26, and now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, this is the one, seize him. So Judas conspires to give them a signal. And he says, my allegiance is with you, not with Christ. And here's how I'm going to expose him with this unsuspecting kiss. A kiss that we know as that tender expression between a husband and his wife. A tender affirmation of one's love and devotion. And it's also a, a, a friendly greeting that we come as brothers and sisters in Christ and we greet one another with a holy kiss. And in this area, it's even practice today, where a man will kiss another man on the cheek and say, hello, my friend. And it was that idea that Judas comes, that it would have been in his mind very unsuspecting that Christ isn't going to know what's in my heart. He's not going to know what's in my actions. I'll just, in a cloak, in a disguise, I'll come to him and I'll place my kiss as if he's my friend. And then he won't suspect that I'm turning on him. But Jesus knows the heart. And so Judas betrays this man. And I tell you, there's much more that I wish I could go on. The applications are numerous. But I'll say this. 
Because what's most in my mind really is kind of what's going to go on on Wednesday. But I can say as a man who's now nearly 60 years old, that in my life, I can't think of a time where we've had leadership in America that has not betrayed us with a kiss. That if in the vein of saying, we're just looking out for you, we're going to work for the people, and they impose onerous taxes, ungodly legislation, society-destroying policies. Most recent, how on earth could a decision to give I won't even deal with the merits of them giving out of the public treasury a $600 stimulus check. How much paper would it require you to write down a law to pass that $600 goes to every American of a particular qualification? 5,600 pages of legislation filled with more pork than Oscar Mayer has. And this is just the latest of legislation that has been perpetrated upon the American people for decades. The betrayal is just ungodly. And they kiss us with this little, I'm trying to work for you. Seven, 70 cents out of every dollar went to foreign lands of money that isn't even in a savings. It's a debt that our children will have to pay. And they obligate your children and my children to pay 70 cents on every dollar that came to us, to foreign lands for all sorts of nefarious reasons, and many to just launder that money that will come back to them in terms of perks. And it's betrayal. And I pray that this will stop. There's many more things that we could talk about betrayal. I wanted to go on. Peter betrayed Christ. All the apostles, in some sense, betrayal with a small b. They, ran, they scattered into the darkness for fear of their lives. The Jews, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Reflect upon these things, dear saints. The religious leaders mocked and ridiculed him, beat him, a betrayal. And every unbeliever who will not recognize their creator God Jesus Christ's Redeemer betrays his legitimate lordship. And you and me, every time we sin, we betray our Lord in some measure. And we can say, as we sang in our hymn of the month, there's this just precious line there in the third, third stanza there. Behold the man upon a cross... My sin upon his shoulders, ashamed. I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that led him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And lastly, there was a betrayal in a sense by his own father. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And it's the answer to that question, dear ones. Why would the Father turn his back on the Son? 
except that his wrath would be poured upon him in our stead. It's the most precious thing in the world is to know why God forsook his son. Betrayal everywhere. Judas goes down in history as the culprit. But Jesus is betrayed in so many ways and is still being betrayed today. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every king that will not submit to him, every Lord that will not submit to him, betrays him. This is why we need godly leadership, godly faithfulness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you thinking, we just wonder if the betrayal to Christ was more agonizing than those nails that nailed him to that cross. How could we, how could we turn our backs on such an amazing gift that you have given to us? We pray that you would forgive us where we have betrayed Christ in, in large or small measure. I pray that you would make us a people steeled for the glory and honor of God in every aspect of life. And so we ask that you would have your blessed way. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108, and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The church with the crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m. We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.